Right, would you like to um, turn to Acts chapter 16? Acts of the Apostles chapter 16. And we're, as Steve said earlier, we're continuing in our series entitled The Unstoppable Church. So we'll read the first five verses. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance, the decisions that had been uh, reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. Let's ask God to help us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that it's living and active, Lord, and can transform our lives. We ask you, Lord, for understanding this morning. And Lord, as we understand that we'll take it to heart. And Lord, we'll know by your grace how to apply it in our lives. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the centuries, this action of Paul in circumcising Timothy has been seen as controversial. Some have thought that Paul was now giving into a practice that he'd once forbidden for Gentiles, that he'd caved in to pressure and muddied the waters of gospel proclamation. So we need to understand this. We need to understand why people thought it was controversial. We need to have a little look into the story of the church up to this point. So um, on the screen, if uh, Paul will put it on, please. We've got three points today. Uh, road open for the Gentiles, eliminating roadblocks and multicultural highway. So the first point then, road open for the Gentiles. After his resurrection, Jesus gathered his disciples and told them to go and make disciples for him of people throughout the world and teach them what he had taught them. We call this the Great Commission. Most of you could probably quote it by heart. It goes, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this book of the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles tells the story of the early church from Jesus' ascension into heaven, from his return to heaven, to the spread of the gospel, to a large part of the Roman Empire. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, recorded in Acts chapter 1, reinforce that commission that I've just read, to take the gospel to the whole world. The disciples, they gathered with Jesus, and um, they were concerned about Jerusalem, the future of the Jews, what about the Roman occupation, and all the rest of it. And they said to him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has put under his authority, 
But he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we had the ends of the earth, the whole world again. Not only did this present a challenge because of its geographical scope, that is, the whole world, but because the vast majority of people to whom this gospel was to be taken would be non-Jews, referred to by Jews as Gentiles. In the past, God had told his people, the Jews, that he'd not just raised them up um, to be his own special people, but also to be a light to the Gentiles, to be a visual aid for the people who were not Jews, for other nations, so that all people could come into his kingdom. But the Jews over the centuries had largely ignored this and developed a lifestyle that insulated them as far as possible from what they saw as unclean Gentiles. There was quite a gap between Jews and Gentiles at this time. So the reality and the outworking of what Jesus had twice told his disciples that all people should hear the gospel and be saved and become disciples would be challenged repeatedly as the church grew and spread. Even on the day of Pentecost, we know about the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit poured out on the believers. It was a Jewish festival when so many people had gathered um, in Jerusalem. And Peter preached his stirring sermon to the crowd who had gathered for the festival um, from far and wide. And he had actually addressed them as men of Israel. Most of them were either ethnic Jews that had gathered or people that had converted to Judaism called proselytes. And they had gathered in Jerusalem. So the church, the early church in Jerusalem was essentially Jewish. And God in his sovereignty had to thrust the believers out through persecution across the empire um, and force them to face up to the Gentile issue. Um, in, in Acts chapter 10 we find that God had to give Peter a very vivid dream to break his mindset about the Gentiles so that he could enter the house of a Roman centurion called Cornelius. He would never have entered otherwise. That would have been unclean for him. And he was then to see that God would save the whole household of Cornelius, who were all Gentiles, through the preaching of the gospel and fill them with his Holy Spirit. And this is what convinced Peter. These people received the Holy Spirit like we did. Therefore, how can we, how can we prevent them from receiving the gospel and being saved? God had to arrest Saul, a Jewish Pharisee, on the Damascus Road, very famous incident. He had been brutally persecuting the church, thinking that he was doing God a favour. But God had to convince him that he was a chosen instrument to carry God's name and the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. Saul changed his name to Paul and became a champion of the gospel, undertaking missionary journeys across the Mediterranean region and Asia Minor and laying a foundation of the gospel of Christ in every church that he founded. As believers were scattered through persecution, Gentiles turned to the Lord and the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to investigate 
and he found genuine faith among them. It says in Acts 11 that when he arrived, he saw the grace of God and was glad, and more people were added to the Lord. He saw that the people had responded to the gospel of grace, God's free gift of eternal life. And they had responded to that, put their trust in Jesus. They'd not become Jews. They'd not followed Jewish practices. They had trusted in Christ alone for salvation. So the church seemed unstoppable. Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus and were added to the church with apostles like Paul and Barnabas travelling around, teaching the believers and encouraging them, building up the family, as Steve reminded us last week. But some people wanted to put up a roadblock by attacking the very foundation of the gospel, which is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, the gospel is not only attacked by taking something away from it, it can be attacked by adding something to it. If we say that salvation is through faith in Jesus plus something else, then it becomes a different gospel that is devoid of power to save. The word gospel means good news. It actually means the proclamation of good news. When we preach the gospel, we're telling the world what God has done, not what they have to do to, uh, to be right with God. It's a proclamation of good news. The church at Antioch had become a sort of base for missionary activity in Asia. And when the travelling apostles arrived there, having seen many Gentiles turn to Christ, we read at the beginning of Acts 15, you might like to follow it, just the first five verses. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Wow, look at this roadblock that's uh, being put in the way. Attacked in Antioch, the gospel is, and attacked in Jerusalem. This was not a minor issue. It represented a major attack on the very foundation of the gospel. Circumcision was a sign that God gave to Abraham of the covenant that he'd made with him and his descendants. From then on, every male Jew at eight days old would be circumcised and all the males in the Jewish household, including slaves, uh, would be included. It was a distinctive mark of being one of God's people. So those attacking the church were in effect saying, you must become a Jew to be saved. Believe in Jesus by all means, but you need to be circumcised. So Barnabas and Paul 
go to Jerusalem, to go to the apostles and elders there. And there Peter, Paul and Barnabas testify how the Gentiles were being saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How God was doing signs and wonders among them and how he was giving them the Holy Spirit just as he had given them in fulfilment of the Old Testament. So how would the Jerusalem apostles respond? There needed to be a definitive ruling on this. Which way would it go? One way would be freedom for the Gentiles, the other way would be bondage for them. A decision here at this point in history could forever affect the ch church from je for generations to come. I would go as far as to say that our salvation depended on it. So my second point then, eliminating roadblocks. Wonderfully, the Council of Apostles and Elders came to the decision that the Gentiles should not be required to submit to Jewish laws, such as circumcision, because now the way to be made right with God for both Jews and Gentiles is not by outward observance of rituals or practices, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the new and living way that both Jews and Gentiles come to God and are accepted as his children. So having made this ruling, they sent Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with a letter explaining the decision. And the church there rejoiced and were encouraged and strengthened. I'm sure the adult, adult males were very pleased that they didn't have to be circumcised. From then on, uh, Paul fearlessly guarded the purity of the gospel. Only the pure gospel was the power of God for the salvation of those who believed. And, um, this, but this was not the end of the attacks uh, by those sometimes called the circumcision party. And where they tried to influence the churches, particularly those that Paul had established, he did not mince his words in opposing them. So, coming back to the, our passage for this morning, what on earth was he doing circumcising Timothy? Had he caved in to Jewish pressure? Because it says he did it because of the Jews. Well, here's what I mean about Paul fearlessly guarding the gospel. Um, listen to what he says to the people of the church at Galatia who were apparently either giving in uh, to this pressure or were on the point of giving in. So Galatians chapter 1, if you want to follow it, and it's uh, verse, verse 6. Galatians chapter 1. So this is Paul speaking to them in response to this threat that if you want to be a believer in Jesus, you've also got to be circumcised. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. So why did he circumcise Timothy? Was he giving in to the people he opposed? If, if we now just uh, quickly turn to Philippians chapter 3 and just the first couple of verses. Here's Paul again. 
and he's defending the pure gospel. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you again is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He goes on, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And we can imagine what that is. We, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When he talks about the flesh, this is about doing good works. It's about following various traditions uh, and, and practices. We put no confidence in the flesh. And if you know this passage, he goes on to say, if anybody could put confidence in the flesh, I could. And he goes through all his, his pedigree. Uh, as a Pharisee and a Jew, he did everything right. But he says, I consider that rubbish compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. So then, come on Paul, what are you up to? Remember what those of the circumcision party were saying. You cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. And as we have seen, that is not the gospel of grace. It's another gospel. And if you submit to it, you actually love, nullify the work of Christ in you. God accepts us when we transfer our trust to him right, and not trust ourselves. So what's happening here in chapter 16 with Paul and Silas at Lystra? Paul had two tasks. Firstly, to enlist Timothy to join him as a missionary. Secondly, to communicate the decisions of the Jerusalem Council to the churches regarding the Gentiles. Timothy, we see, is a disciple. And in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul refers to him as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, which suggests that he was one of Paul's converts. It says that his mother was Jewish and a believer, and from Paul's letter to Timothy, we know her name was... Eunice. Okay. But his father was a Greek, possibly dead by this time. As a son of a mixed marriage, Timothy was in a difficult position. Jews were not meant to marry Gentiles, but if they did, the children were considered Jewish and, uh, and therefore liable to be circumcised. This had not taken place in the case of Timothy. Apparently his mother had not taken her Jewish responsibilities seriously. Or perhaps her husband had refused to allow the child to be circumcised. Now, although Paul's main commission, as I said earlier, was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he still had a deep concern for his own people, that they should be saved. And when visiting new places, he invariably went first of all to the synagogue, and preached to the Jews before he, he preached to others. Now, with Timothy with him, it would be a stumbling block to the Jews if Timothy, who was considered a Jew, had, was not circumcised. Paul was concerned that Timothy should be in good standing in the eyes of the Jews as he worked among them. So how does this fit with what Paul had to say so vehemently about circumcision and how he had so strongly opposed it. The circumcision of Timothy was not a condition of salvation. It's not a condition of salvation. He was already saved and a disciple and well spoken of. 
It was a means of identification with the people that Paul wanted to win for Christ, the Jews. There was no other reason. The message that Paul was taking from the council in Jerusalem was that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. He was now removing a potential cultural roadblock by circumcising Timothy. So then, here are the main lessons this morning so far. Firstly, that God does not require us to contribute anything to our salvation. We can't add to it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. All that we ever contribute is our sin. We offer ourselves to God and we reach out the hand of faith to receive the free gift that God is offering us. It's not by works. It's not by conformity to the law or special rights and the like. He has done all that's necessary by, uh, to make us right with him by taking our sin and placing it on Jesus and in exchange giving us his righteousness. But secondly, we should be prepared to do anything in order to, uh, to identify with those we want to see come to Christ and be saved as long as it does not violate God's law. God does not require us to, to cheat, lie and steal to identify with people so, so that we can win them. We still have to maintain God's righteousness in our lives. But there are things that we can do uh, in order to identify. So the third point is the multicultural highway. This was Paul's way and here's what he says to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. It's, it's quite complicated what he says here, but I'll read it just as it is and leave it as it is. You'll get the message. For though I am free of all, he says, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So, all things to all men, to identify with the people that he wanted to win for Christ. And of course, this principle is from God himself. We all know the famous gospel verse, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There would be no gospel if it finished at, For God so loved the world. You know, well, God loves the world. What's he going to do about it? Is he going to remain in heaven, high and lifted up, holy and apart from sinners? No, he came to earth in the person of Jesus and became a friend of sinners. Right? That's what he was, that was what he was accused of. He's a friend of sinners, like you and me. That he might win us to himself. Jesus talked with and associated with prostitutes he touched lepers. He went to the homes of disreputable and ate with them. And in all this, he did not violate God's law. 
God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John tells us at the beginning of his gospel. In 1853, the 21-year-old Hudson Taylor left these shores for China as a missionary. On arrival, he made the radical decision to completely identify with the Chinese people. He learned the language. He dressed in Chinese clothes. He grew a pigtail called a queue. And he lived as they lived. And when he did that, when many other missionaries of his day were still living semi-Western lifestyles. Later he formed the China Inland Mission, where all the missionaries followed this radical lifestyle and the gospel spread throughout China. We are increasingly living in a multicultural and a multi-religious society, aren't we? Although this corner of England, we don't see many other nations gathered here, but there are parts of the, the country where we, you see loads. I mean, we, we've, we've been in Southall High Street and you think you're in Bombay, to be honest. Every shop is an Indian shop. So we, we no longer have to cross the globe to encounter people of other faiths. Uh, they're on our doorstep. What would we be prepared to do to win them for Jesus? Would we make friends with a Muslim? Would we go to a mosque with them if they invited us? Would we go to a Sikh or Hindu temple if invited? What do you think? Would you go if you were invited? You were making friends with somebody? Some Christians have felt that if they did go to such places, they would somehow be contaminated, um, that their faith would be, be, be threatened, um, and um, they'd be open to all sorts of, of, of evil things. But John tells us that he who is in us, that's Jesus by the Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. And I, I don't believe we should fear going to these places. I don't believe it's basically or intrinsically wrong to do such things. You know, God is giving dreams and visions of Jesus to Muslims and Hindus and God needs us to make friends with them where there is opportunity so we can tell them about Jesus they are seeing. How will they know about the Jesus that they're, having, they're seeing in their visions unless we tell them? We need to be able to tell them. Do we love people enough to to live in ways that are not natural to us or would cost us much. There have been Christians who felt God's call to work in deprived inner city areas in this country where there is much poor housing, unemployment and antisocial behaviour and they've left the relative comfort of suburbia to follow that call. What do you think about that? I know I would find it easier to go to a foreign country um, and live probably fairly simply than I would to move into an inner city area. It's the last thing I want to do. And fortunately, God has not called me to do that at the moment. But, but he might. But, but he might. You know, he might do that. If there is someone that you're becoming friends with and you've begun to share the gospel with them, would you go to places you wouldn't normally go? I mean, on the, on the easy side of this, would you go to a football match? You know, you may not be a football fan, but would you go with them? Would you go to a rock concert? Okay, if, if, if that's what, what, what it was. Um, if you thought that would help foster the friendship. Would you enter their environment, as Jesus did, or would you expect them to enter ours? 
That's, that's often the big issue. We want, we want people to come. Yeah, come to our church. Come, you know, come into our, our, our environment, which is not wrong. It's not wrong to do that. But um, often, as Jesus did, he went into the world's environment, didn't he? When people, when young people knock on your door at Halloween, which you may strongly disapprove of, for, to uh, offer you a trick or a treat, do you send them packing or do you bless them and engage with them? I, I have to confess, I have sent them packing. I'm sorry I did, I was wrong, all right? It, it was, I missed an opportunity to engage with these young people, even if I didn't approve of what they were doing particularly. We have to accept that the church has to adapt to the prevailing culture whilst holding fast to the truths of the gospel. If we want to be like Jesus, the Word made flesh. We can be the Word made flesh to people because we enter their environment where they are comfortable, not where we are comfortable. Unlike Hudson Taylor, some missionaries in former years have tried to impose Western culture on their converts, such as wearing Western dress and abandoning local customs, even if they did not um, conflict with the gospel. And missions became an outpost of the British Empire very often. I'm not saying people didn't get saved in those, they did. But I'm pleased to say that overseas missions are much wiser now, and they try to find features in the local culture um, where they can, what they can use as a springboard for the gospel. Here's a wonderful example of this. It's what happened among the head-hunting cannibal Sawi people of New Guinea, now called Irianjaya. Um, Don and Carol Richardson went to live among them in 1962. They found them still living in the Stone Age and at constant war with their neighbouring tribes, where treachery and revenge were seen as a characteristic to be prized. How could they communicate the gospel of love and forgiveness in such a culture where people would venerate Judas as a hero and regard his kiss of betrayal as the ultimate expression of treachery? Right? Don and Carol urged them to make peace with the neighbouring tribe, but they told them it's impossible to make peace unless there is a peace child. They then discovered an age-old custom where if two warring tribes um, um, came together and exchanged babies, um, each to be adopted by the other tribe, then as long as the babies lived, there would be peace. Gospel, ching! <laughs> this was a God-given opportunity to tell them of God's peace child who came to bring love, not treachery, forgiveness, not revenge, and he ever lives. He will never die. And you know, the gospel came to be accepted in these very primitive tribes and still exist. There are churches there today in what is known as Irianjaya. So, in conclusion then, Paul used all his energy to maintain the purity of the gospel eliminating the potential roadblock of circumcision. Right? That was going to be a roadblock. It was going to halt the progress of the church. And so he could offer the gospel free to all. But he was also prepared to be all things to all people, to remove the cultural roadblocks. 
so that it was available to all. What about us? What has that spoken to us this morning? I'll leave you with that. But I just, just feel I want to say that there may be people here, I've mentioned a lot about the gospel and what the gospel is, gospel is and what the gospel isn't. But you may have come to a point where you think, well, I've done all I can. Um, I've come to church. I've read the Bible occasionally. Um, and, um, but I, I'm realised I'm still not a Christian and I don't know what to do. What, what is there left to do that I need to do to be a Christian? Maybe you think, maybe there's something I, that I must do myself to do that. But as we've said this morning, God has done it all. And all that God requires is that we believe that Jesus took our punishment on the cross, that he died in our place. And in exchange, God is willing to give us his righteousness, not because we earn it, but it is a free gift. It's a free gift of grace. And all that, that God wants us to do is to receive that, is to believe it and to receive it, to stretch out a hand of faith and receive what God is giving us. This is the gospel. It's very, in its essence, it's very simple. And yet we sometimes make it complicated. And naturally, in our human nature, we want to feel we've done something, that we've earned it. You know, God's going to give it to me because I've earned it. But God says you can't earn it. It's too precious to be earned. You can't do it, but I'm willing to give it to you if you're willing to receive it. So can we just pray for a moment? Uh, and if this is you, if you feel, well, I've, I've done what I can, but the light hasn't come on yet. It's not come on. Just see this God of grace, undeserved favour, and he is handing a gift to you, something like a Christmas present, all wrapped, if you like. And you think, well, what can I do to, to earn this? I, there must be something. No, there's absolutely nothing. Because it's by, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we become Christians. And John says at the beginning of his gospel, for as many as received him, that's Jesus, through the gospel, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Would you like to become a child of God today and really know it and have an assurance? Then just in your heart, reach out to God and say, God, I, I want this, Lord. I want to be saved. I want... I want Jesus to be part of my life. I want Jesus to be foremost in my life. And I want this free gift of eternal life that you're offering. If you sincerely come to God like that, He, He indeed, uh, will grant that request and you can come to Him. Lord, thank you for your wonderful gospel. Thank you that we can't add anything to it. It's everything that you've done. Lord, Lord, will you bless us this morning? Will you open our hearts to it once again? Even if we're old hands at it, Lord, open our hearts to it again. And help us, Lord, to see that we can take the gospel to our neighbours, to others who may be different from us, uh, because we want to be um, just as Jesus was, to be the Word made flesh. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>